Hey, everyone. It's Mary Harris. This episode contains a little bit of strong language. If you have kids in the room, just some fair warning. Now for the show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When Lynette Letterman, the former president of the Tree of Life Synagogue, appeared on CNN this morning, it was still dark outside. She stood in front of a makeshift memorial trying to make sense out of 11 murders, what's been called the deadliest attack on Jews in American history. Out there, we are thinking of you. Um, I can't imagine what you're going through. Let me just ask you. Thank you, John. You can't, of course, make sense of a shooting like this. But Lynette had some ideas about what to do next. What can the country do for you? What do you need to hear this morning? Uh, the country can stop the hate speech. Over this past week, we have been talking a lot about the power of words. Words that divide us. Once again, I'll remind you that the very first thing the president did was condemn the attacker. And the very first thing the media did was blame the president. And words that drive people to the polls. We are about law and order and borders and jobs. And they are about allowing crime to enter our country with open borders. My general message to this caravan is do not come. You will not be allowed in. There is a right way to emigrate to the United States, and this is not it. Uh, in this population of people that would come here um, are, are folks that have a history of uh, gun, gang, drug, and uh, violent crime uh, histories that sometimes have a profound impact uh, in a pers personal way on Americans. Yeah, it's, it's really And how much these words, words spoken by people who run this country, impact the behavior of the rest of us. This weekend, journalists became internet archaeologists, digging into the Twitter timelines and Facebook profiles of men whose words have transformed into real-life violence. First, there was the Florida bombing suspect, who messaged friends with racist memes and peddled conspiracy theories online. Then, the Pittsburgh shooter, who logged onto a far darker corner of the internet, a place where his words, his hate, wouldn't be questioned. I'm Mary Harris. This is What Next. Today, Slate's own April Glazer is going to shine some light on these darker corners of the internet. She has spent months logging onto the social media platform Gab, the same place the Pittsburgh shooter announced his deadly intentions. She's going to explain what could come next for these internet communities. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. April? One second. Sorry. <clears throat> okay, hello. Hey, April. It's Mary. Mary, hi. Hi. It's nice to actually talk Ooh. to you. Ooh, I'm blowing up. Um, so I um What's happening? Um, I'm getting email threats saying that you're gonna be doxxed. April Glazer spent her morning fighting off supporters of the social media network known as Gab. It started with a few emails. I guess the first one was at 10 a.m. this morning, Eastern. What did it say? Don't fuck with Gab. You're a disgusting liberal cunt. Oof. Is that what you guys want on the radio, on your show? April was getting threats that she was going to be doxxed, that her private and identifying information was going to be shared online. It was all because over the weekend, she published an account of what Life Inside Gab is all about. Even though the site publicly denounced the actions of the Pittsburgh shooter, Gab's statement said the platform had a zero-tolerance policy about violence. It was on Gab where the shooter felt he was safe to reveal his hate. When April and I spoke, Gab had just been blacklisted by its domain provider and other internet companies. For people who don't know what Gab is, can you explain it? Sure. Gab is a social network that was created in 2016 in response to Twitter and Facebook and more mainstream social networks taking a harder line against hate speech and kicking people off the platform who were engaging in hateful rhetoric and abusive and harassing rhetoric. And so the founder of Gab, Andrew Torba, decided, well, if you're going to keep kicking us off, we'll just create our own. And so he created a social network where the premise is that you can say whatever you want and you will not be kicked off for hate speech. And that has turned into a place where people who are not allowed on the main socials go to speak freely and it's attracted, you know, people uh, who kind of peddle in hateful rhetoric. Uh, and it's become a safe place for communities to form around around hate. You got a Gab account back in the summer, right? Yes, I did. As I began researching for a story. What did you find when you went on there? Like, what does it look like? It's full of racism and anti-Semitism, like full of it. It's a lot of conspiratorial um, lines about uh, Jewish people and the harm that anti-Semitics believe that they cause to society. A lot of conversation about denigrating um, African-American populations in the United States, um, but lots and lots of memes and lots of uh, derogatory terms for uh, minority groups. Like, like overwhelming. Like, that's the first thing you see. If it's not the first thing you see, it's the second, third, fourth, and fifth thing you see. Racism. Mm-hmm. You did You did say that Gab tries to kick people off for behaving badly. Do you think that's true? They kick people off, they say, once violence erupts. So they try to draw some line between hate speech being permittable, but violence not being permittable. But I think that's a contradiction in terms. And Well, we know it's a contradiction in terms when we look at the history of how you know, more recent spates of hate crimes generated and uh, those people began with communities online. Yeah, there's been so much conversation about 
who to blame in the wake of what happened this weekend, in the wake of what happened last week with the attempted bombings. And I wonder, you know, you've spent the last few months sort of immersing yourselves in these communities. When you hear those conversations, what do you think? I think that it's really important to discuss where these communities are able to exist safely and confidently and where these people are able to um, espouse these ideas and uh, collect themselves around these ideas and where they're able to find camaraderie in these ideas. Uh, because when they get the confidence that their hate is, is valid and real, then uh, we see that tumble onto the streets and into the real world. You know, what was interesting to me about some of your reporting on these internet communities was that you took it beyond just Gab, this one platform. And you mentioned that the people who started Gab have started something called the Free Speech Tech Alliance. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. Uh, so that was actually from last year. I'm not sure if that's still active. But Gab was complaining that as they were getting threats from uh, service providers that they didn't want to do business with Gab because they were providing a safe place for hate, that they could go offline. And we saw that happen last night. Gab is now no longer active because various service providers and hosting providers decided they didn't want to do business with Gab anymore in the wake of the shooting on Saturday morning. And, uh, and in response to that, they became kind of ardent anti-monopolist because they said, well, if just a handful of internet companies can decide they don't want to do business with us, then they can kick us offline entirely. And they were calling attention to the monopolistic uh, nature of the internet. You know, we have this idea that the internet is this decentralized place where anybody can set up a website. But the truth is, is that the internet is a network of networks. And once a few of those companies that run the majority of those networks decide that they don't want to do business with you, they can kind of cut you off the mainstream internet almost entirely. And so the folks who made Gab kind of saw that coming, right? Yeah, they became anti-monopolists as they also became free speech activists. They complained that these internet companies were too powerful, they shouldn't be able to kick them offline, and that we should have more decentralized power when it comes to how the internet is run. So they were trying to build their own internet. They were trying to build alternative infrastructure systems that weren't reliant on these big tech companies like GoDaddy or DreamHost or Google or, or Amazon or Apple in the App Store and build an alternative internet, kind of what I call the internet of hate where they wouldn't be kicked off, where they would build their own services and they would be able to kind of uh, create their own ecosystem where they could espouse uh, hate speech freely. I mean, how close did they get to building this separate internet? Not very close because it's very difficult. You know, it takes a lot of infrastructure. I mean, the internet interoperates with all of these different businesses and services and companies. And uh, most of the kind of alternative platforms that they built either never became very popular or didn't have the tech power to uh, build something as powerful as they needed to, to kind of run a separate internet or to build these alternative internet services. But it was something they were trying to do. And I was chronicling the attempt to build kind of a separate internet, an internet where hate groups would be safe. You know, right now we see a lot of people talking about kicking hate groups off of various platforms, not giving them the place to share this hateful speech. And I wonder a little bit if that's a double-edged sword, because Gab was created when folks were being kicked off of Twitter and Facebook. Now you're saying that when folks are talking about denying Gab the right to be, 
maybe we'll just make a whole other internet? Are we creating a situation where we're driving folks further into the dark, but still allowing them to congregate? Well, people are always going to find a place to congregate online. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, how much we kick them off the mainstream internet. The fear of like pushing them off places where it's easier to catch them makes sense. But the truth is, is that when you push them off places where it's easier to find them, it's also harder for uh, new people to join them. It's harder for Mm -hmm. them to grow and solidify and become strong enough to organize things like the Unite the Right rally in 2017 that was organized on Discord, a gaming uh, chat platform where we see a lot of anti-Semitism and racist activity. When you make it harder for these groups and communities to exist and communicate, Uh, you make it harder for them to exist at all. One good example is uh, Stormfront, which is the oldest and largest uh, neo-Nazi white supremacist uh, message board on the internet. That went down briefly last year as they were in the midst of planning their annual KKK rally in eastern Tennessee. When that website went down, so did the email addresses of the people who run the website, as well as over 600 messages of planning information that went into that. And it it severely limited the ability for for this KKK rally to be as big and powerful as it would have been otherwise, right? And so when you make it harder to communicate, you make it harder to exist. Hmm. Do you see anyone not at a private company in government trying to take the reins here? And trying to limit this kind of speech. So that's what so that's what the politicians are talking about. They are saying these companies have not been good at policing their platforms. They failed in so many ways. They've grown wildly popular. And so they need to be regulated in some way. In some way, there, ne- there needs to be some sort of public interest legislation or some sort of regulation that requires these companies to be more accountable to the communities that they give a platform to. Do you think it's going to happen? Uh, there is more of it. There's a taste for it right now in Congress. You know, I interviewed Senator Mark Warner, who's been one of the people leading the charges on that a couple weeks ago on my podcast as Slate If Then. Uh, and I've also spoken to Republican Congress people who are, you know, very interested in reigning in the power of these platforms. You know, the the line from the uh, Republican side has largely been that these platforms are biased, that they have a liberal Silicon Valley bias. There's really not a lot of uh, standing or proof <laughs> of that. Uh, but there is a general desire, though, that these platforms are not really working compatibly with creating kind of a safe conversational space for us to get the information that we need to participate meaningfully in a democracy, whether it's a, you know, disinformation that's muddying our political conversations, or it's providing a shelter for hate groups to organize and then spill out into the real world. April, thank you so much for telling me a little bit about your work. Thanks for uh, having me on. After April and I talked, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, announced he had an idea for how to tame online speech. He wants to get rid of Twitter's like button. Finally, over the weekend, one more person passed away, and I want to pay tribute to her. The poet Entezaki Shange. She was an outspoken feminist and a playwright. All day long, watching the news, I have had one particular poem of hers going through my head. It's actually about domestic abuse. But when I read these lines, I can't help thinking about the grieving families at the Tree of Life Synagogue, especially knowing that President Trump is going to travel to Pittsburgh tomorrow, even though the mayor and some Jewish leaders have asked him not to. The poem's called Sorry. Here's just a bit of it. 
One thing I don't need is any more apologies. I got sorry greeting me at my front door. You can keep yours. I don't know what to do with them. They don't open doors or bring the sun back. They don't make me happy or get a morning paper. Didn't nobody stop using my tears to wash cars because of sorry. I am simply tired of collecting. I didn't know I was so important to you. I'm gonna have to throw some away. I can't get to the clothes in my closet for all of the sorries. I'm gonna tack a sign to my door, leave a message by the phone. If you call to say you're sorry, call somebody else. I don't use them anymore. That is our show. What next is an experiment. We're piloting this thing through the midterms and we wanna hear what you think. Review the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Your reviews give us crucial feedback for the show, but they also just help other people find us so we can hear what they think. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and it's produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon. Our engineer is Terrence Bernardo. Talk to you tomorrow.